0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Pride Superheroes podcast. My name is Perry and I'm one of the co-founders of the Pride Superheroes initiative. Um, and before we begin, I would like to share with you our vision. Together we make the world a better place to live and thrive By being the beacon of light and hope for the LGBT plus community and others who find it difficult to accept themselves, we unleash their power through love and acceptance to allow their true colors to flourish as they become their own superhero. So this is our vision. And for the first chapter, I am so honored to conduct an interview with my colleague and co-founder of the Pride Superheroes, Cynthia Fortledge. So let us start. Pride Superheroes Podcast. Hello, all. The International Transgender Day of Visibility is an annual event occurring on March 31st. Today we are holding a special interview with a special guest for that occasion. Our guest was awarded as one of the 20 most influential CIOs by Talk financial posts and involve leading 100 LGBT plus executives, finalist CIO of the Year by Women in IT, and Yahoo Finance, outstanding 100 LGBT plus executives. She is an award-winning gender identity speaker and consultant, entrepreneur and founder of CAF Services. She dedicates herself to helping corporations, organizations, and individuals navigate gender-related issues using acceptance without understanding. She identifies as a white, queer, pansexual woman with transgender history. And in recent years, she served as president of the Rainbow Resource Center in Winnipeg and was the National Chair for Women's March Canada. She's currently working on her new book about acceptance without understanding. And I am so privileged to have her in my own team at Perry Corporate Coaching. All, please welcome Cynthia Fortledge.
1: Oh, thank you, Perry. That was a beautiful introduction.
0: So for the first question, When did you decide you were transgender?
1: That's a really interesting question. Um, And when I answer questions, A, I always answer them completely. So the audience and you will get a complete answer. But I do believe in educating in the process of answering. And in that particular question, the way it was asked, no one decides they're transgender. I like to jokingly say, Lady Gaga is right. We are born this way. And regardless how you identify within the LGBT plus rainbow, the fact is we are all born this way. We're not made this way, we're not created, nor do we decide to be this way. We just are this way. So um, it was at four years old um, when I began displaying traits that were not considered in alignment with my sex that was assigned at birth. Um, Again, you imagine that, you know, your whole identity that they refer to your sex is based upon your genitalia. And the simple fact is is you're born and the doctor looks between your legs and gives you this entire identity that is actually locked up inside of you that you yet don't have the language for, nor do you have the ability to communicate, let alone the bravery to do it. Um, So for me, that was at four years old is when that began to more clearly emerge. But that is also when the social pressure to conform to what others thought I was rather than accept who I was really began in earnest. And that was really the beginning of me learning about acceptance in my own life. Unfortunately, it took another 46 years for it to manifest into me being strong enough courageous enough in order to actually own it and live it. What is your relationship like with your
0: ex and children?
1: You know it's always difficult for everyone that's involved. Um, I remember when I began my journey there was this naive that felt well this is just happening to me it's not happening to anybody else you know and nobody nobody else can tell my story this is my story. And the reality is, is that everyone who is a part of my life in any way, shape, or form is going through their own version of my story with them. So everyone is transitioning. Everyone is journeying at the same time. And so we all have our own different stories. So clearly for my spouse, this was not what they had expected. But I also like to people, it's not what I had expected either. Because up to that point, it was a very, quote, heterosexual, heteronormative, not a great word, um, but I think the audience will understand it, it, living experience, um, you know, with two kids, the whole bit. So when I came out and told them, I referred to it in the book as it was an atom bomb in our relationship. It literally blew it up. Um, We spent about 16 months in couples therapy, trying to work through it, but there was not a loss of love for each other. There just wasn't acceptance. And for me, that was really the concept that I talk about today and as presented in the upcoming book. That is where I talk about that, you know, there's acceptance without understanding because I had love, but love's not enough. I need love and acceptance. That is really the unconditional love that we talk about. That is the love that we talk about giving our children, you know, without passing judgment. But the fact is, is, and we know certainly from the LGBTQ plus community that many parents pass judgment when their children go through a coming out process and may disown them, remove them. And in fact, my own birth family did. And even though we tried with my partner, um, I am divorced. Um, and the first year with my children was really really tough. Um, I only saw them three times in that first year. Um, so it was a very lonely road for me to travel um, as I was figuring all of this out and while there's a certain euphoria of getting all of this weight of hiding off my shoulders and so forth, there was also quite a great loneliness that goes with it that, friends and my community came around and really supported me. Um, happy to say that my, you know, relationship with my children is warm and very inclusive and, and fabulous. And, and my daughter is so amazing. Uh, and my son is just such a loving soul um, and, and so open. So I am blessed in that. Um, unfortunately, there is no relationship with my ex. Um, that is not my journey to travel now, that is their journey. Um, and I simply remain open and accepting wherever that may arrive at one day.
0: What do you think about young children, uh, declaring their gender identity?
1: That's a brilliant question. Um, I just actually responded to a post online this weekend as somebody was, you know, they were kind of, okay, I get this, but in this case, that might be okay. But, you know, when it comes to children, it's like, no, 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 like children have their parents and children and parents have medical professionals. Nobody just decides this. And we we talked about that. Um, And nobody just magically waves a wand. Um, trust me, if I did, I would look more like Sophia Loren, but, um, at the end of the day, it's just very simply that between the child and the parents and the medical professionals who are involved, it is up to them as to what happens. It's nobody else's business. What happens? It is nobody else's business. How the decisions that are made between those three parties, because it is their private medical life and history that's being dealt with. I will say that a lot of people are confused about two things. One is children in most countries cannot transition before the age of majority. In extreme circumstances, I think 16 um, in North America, they might be given the right of kind of self-control um, over their destiny to deal with it. But other than that, no child is, quote, making life-changing alterations to their body or to their life. The most that they can do under medical supervision is use hormone blockers or puberty blockers specifically. And the interesting thing about puberty blockers is they don't damage the child. They've been around for a long time. And all they simply do is delay or pause the puberty process, because the process of going through and going through the the puberty that's assigned with your sex that was assigned at birth can be very detrimental and expensive if, in fact, everyone comes to an understanding that you're going down a different path. Whereas using the puberty blockers, it just simply pauses, allows everybody to kind of ask the questions and ensure that they're on the right path and then actually make a proper decision and head down that path without a detrimental effect. And if that means that in that pause, in that moment, that they decide to revert to the, the sex that was assigned at birth or the gender that was assigned at birth, well, then puberty just continues as normal. So they really have no negative impact other than buying time for everybody that's involved, the child, the parents and the medical professionals to ensure that they're actually, you know, heading down the correct path that everyone is in agreement for. Um, So outside of those three parties, it's nobody else's business. That's what I think.
0: Sometimes we see uh, children that uh declare their gender identity, even though they are not uh, going through any medical uh, uh, process, and they uh, come to school and say, please uh, call, uh, refer to me as male or uh, female or whatever. What is your opinion about that?
1: I talk about the idea, when I talk about acceptance, that People's identity, not just the, their identity, which is really what we're talking about here, the child's identity is who they say they are, not who we say they are. So if a child comes to me and goes, you know, I knew you, Cynthia, but I want you to call me Sin now, we don't question it because it's just simply a name. But yet when we talk about a pronoun or we talk about an identity of male, female, intersex, other, because it is a spectrum, that somehow it becomes a a question that is way too difficult for us to accept. But the reality is, is that by not accepting it, you have made a choice because your choice is literally to accept or to not accept. And if you're not prepared and not ready to accept, that's fine, but that doesn't change the child, right? So in other words, no matter what you do, your really the only choice is to accept that the child says that's who they are. Now, the next step is up to you as to whether or not you would say have that child in your life and so forth, but remember that child can also choose as to whether or not you get to be in their life. And because we know that diversity makes the world so much richer learning to not try and box people into places we are comfortable with and just be open and accepting to the identity of people of who they are not who they were allows us to really open our minds and our hearts to just simply accepting people so when a child tells me that and they're not on medical intervention so doesn't matter then, if that was, um, you know, whoever they were yesterday, but it's about who they are today. And it doesn't hurt me to identify them that way. And maybe they don't like it. Maybe they don't like the name. Maybe they don't like um, the way people shorten the name or change the name. But the same happens today when, you know, um, children get teased and they're given a nickname or something Um, The child didn't ask necessarily for that, and others give them this identity that could, in fact, be hurtful and spiteful, and yet we seem to be okay with that. Why can't we just simply accept the identity of who the child says they are and allow between them, their parents as a child, and their medical providers to make those important decisions? It's not for us as outsiders, All we can simply do is to accept who they are.
0: Before we move uh, uh, on to your work with organizations and corporations, um, it's interesting to know, you talk a lot about acceptance and acceptance without understanding, but how do you really handle folks that hate you even though they don't really know you?
1: Well, it is a daily occurrence. Um, I would say you start to grow a bit of a thick skin, but that's not really the answer because it still hurts. I'm still a human being. I'm still having emotions and feelings, and they still get attacked and hurt in those those moments. Um, The power of acceptance or acceptance without understanding is the full saying. Sometimes I'll just simply say acceptance. So acceptance without understanding says I don't ask you to accept whatever you perceive as my lifestyle or any other aspect or any decisions that you believe I may have made. I simply ask you to accept that I'm a human being. And this is really powerful because if you accept that I'm a human being, it means that you acknowledge I deserve human rights. And because human rights are about equity, not equality, that means as we are all unique, diverse people, Therefore, the way that we consume our human rights is also equitably unique. And so I have a choice with that hater. First of all, I have to accept that they hate me without even knowing me because I'm not going to change them. I know that from my life in business. One of the things you have to learn when you first become a manager of people is you cannot change someone. You can work on changing attitudes, but you can't change the person. So what you need to do in those cases are accept that that person hates me for no reason than their own perception, their own biases. Now, I do get to make a choice because I get to choose whether or not that person is allowed in my life, is allowed to have impact on me. And I can remove them. I can set a boundary to protect myself that that person's not allowed in my life. Everybody's free to open themselves up and to learn to accept. Because when you learn to accept without understanding, it opens a door to conversation that allows us to grow to acceptance with understanding. And I'm always open to people being open to grow, to learn and unlearn all of the material and biases and socialization that they have been programmed to believe, but is not in fact true. I rarely will engage with the person that hates me because they don't want a conversation. They didn't say, Cynthia, I don't really understand why you are the way you are, but I accept it. But I'm wondering, can we have a discussion? That would be a conversation I'd be open to. But when you get somebody that goes, well, why do you like it?" It comes across feeling very much like an attack, like a heavy judgment. And I'm not interested in being their educator and taking them through socialization when they have no intent or desire to change all the bias and programming that they've been given. So I choose, I set a boundary for my own sake that I don't engage with them and they're not in my life.
0: And maybe that is a great advice to all of us that have people in our lives that don't approve of us or hate us we can put those boundaries. That's a great advice. So moving on to the uh, corporate world. So uh, working internationally with organization and corporations, what is your perspective about the work needs to be done in the diversity, equity, and inclusion area?
1: Wonderful question, thank you. The power of diversity, equity, and inclusion is the place where they meet. If you imagine them as three circles that all intersect, there's a place where all three circles meet. And that's called belonging. Now, Maslow, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, talked about at level three, belonging was a key aspect of our needs. We all have a need to belong. So diversity, equity, and inclusion is a way to build belonging. And belonging is an element of corporate culture, organizational culture, social culture. It is that every organization has a culture. The question is, is it the one you want? And so if an organization decides to throw in the word, a place where people belong and so forth, that means they want to develop an intentional culture that helps people belong. Now, if you don't identify within any marginalized category, which typically means you're a heterosexual cisgender, cis meaning to agree with in Latin, so that you agree with your sex that was assigned at birth, um, male, white, then you are in that very powerful group, I know because I used to be, that has so much power and privilege. And the whole idea is that when you truly believe that you need to have an organization culture of belonging, then that means for those folks, they need to use their power and privilege as allies and actively show us allyship and to deal with it. And allyship is so powerful because not only is it an active process But it's a very special process about creating relationships and relationships based upon trust and consistency and performance, right? It's active. You don't just say it, you do it. And so someone that wants to create spaces that might not know the language, that might not necessarily have all the correct behaviors, but is open to learning and unlearning those behaviors that do or don't make their place a place to belong. Well, that's the active work of allyship. And in corporate spaces, that is the work that I do so much, is helping awaken people to what is allyship and the work that needs to be done. But more importantly, Learning some of those very simple aspects, such as language matters. And if you don't know the language, you need to learn it. So that's what I love to do. And the work in corporate spaces, amongst all the other things that you may do, such as you know audits and reviews, policies, um, so forth. But allyship is where you know, the talking meets the walking and actually gets the job done.
0: Great answer. As a matter of fact, my next question was, what is the impact of good implementation of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace on employee engagement and belonging? But you already answered that fully <laughs> at the beginning. So uh, thank you for that. So I guess a, one last question, maybe, maybe an important one. Can you share one thing that you learned about yourself through your journey?
1: One, There's so much that I learned, but one of the most important things that I learned and I look at my journey. I don't look at my transition journey. That was that was a few years. I'm looking at my life journey. It's 56 years long. And for me, the most important thing was that all of the aspects, traits that I thought made a leader, you know, strong and wise and so forth, and a word that never came up was being vulnerable. a leader is a great leader because they can be vulnerable and I have learned to be vulnerable and I have learned in the process of being vulnerable that it creates safe spaces for others to feel vulnerable with me. And that creates honest, open conversations where we can learn and unlearn from each other.
0: Well, Thank you so much, Cynthia. It was truly inspiring to talk and learn from you and a happy International Transgender Day of Visibility to all.